Hi, I'm Anna-Claire Harper, and you're listening to The Return, property and investment podcast, sharing insights and information on key topics from real estate technology to sustainability. Feel free to get in touch or follow recent news by connecting on LinkedIn, Anna-Claire Harper. Hi, and welcome to The Return, property and investment podcast. I'm Anna, and in this episode, I'm joined by Ben Barbanel, Head of Debt Finance at Oak North. So Oak North is one of the most successful and fast-growing new banks in the UK, and just the third bank to be granted a UK licence in the last 150 years. They've lent more than £2 billion to SME businesses in the UK in the last few years, have no branches, and are really shaking up the property finance space at a time when lending and finance have never been more important for property investors. So as head of debt finance in a bank whose founders deliberately set out to resolve the problems and shake up SME and property lending, Ben's brilliantly placed to talk about what's changed and changing in property finance and how potential property investors can use this to their advantage. Ben, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Um, So firstly, I mentioned in the introduction that I think finance has never been more important in defining the success or failure of property investors and their projects. Do you agree with this? And if so, why is that the case? Sure. So yeah, I do. I do agree with it. If you are a developer or an SME that relies on external funding, obviously not all do, and some have other ways and other means of, of funding themselves. I think in the main, finance has always been an essential part of a process. If you're if you're a property investor or developer, I think one of the things that that's enabled us to grow so quickly is being flexible around the finance that we can offer our customers. So for example, if a customer wants to reposition a particular project or an asset, uh, they might buy it with some finance, but they then might need to sit on it for a while to enhance planning, to change the use, etc. Um, and having that having that flexible finance in place from day one is is useful to enable them to do that. Obviously, without finance for many, their their pipe dream of, of, of developing out and their great vision with their professional team around them might not come into fruition. So obviously, it's, it's pretty key in those situations too. What is actually changing in finance and lending in the property space at the moment, both for lenders and for borrowers? Yeah, a lot. I think that there's clearly a lot of uncertainty in the market currently. They, there, there is a lot of, of liquidity in terms of headline lenders in the market. Whether or not lenders and banks actually deliver is a, is a different story. And we've seen a lot of situations where borrowers have been led quite far down the line to find out that actually they don't have access to the funding that they thought they did, which is clearly not a great position to be in. I think in terms of the referendum vote, this has caused... Um, uncertainty with a number of lenders and unfortunately we've seen situations where banks and lenders have just frozen and not not known what to do and and panicked. We have continued to see a huge demand from from borrowers and because we are quick and decisive and deliver for the right transactions it's enabled us to grow in that period of time quite rapidly. If If you look at that period of the Brexit referendum um, the actual month of the vote, our loan book more than doubled in that month alone, which again you know, signals to us not that we were doing anything stupid or anything that we shouldn't have been doing, but the lack of kind of flexibility and commerciality and almost a, what I'd call a joined up approach in some of the larger banks around their ability to navigate their organisation and have a 
one joined up approach to the market in terms of what they want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I think that leads on really nicely to the next question, because I guess that response from other lenders was all around their assessment of risk or their speed of understanding their risk. One of the biggest challenges lenders face now is how to combine rules which allow them to standardise decision making and keep a track of risk in some way and scale up lending operations with getting access to good lending opportunities. And a lot of the larger and more corporate lenders are criticised for seeing lending decisions as a bit of a checkbox exercise, meaning that sort of SME investors and developers lose out on opportunities because the computer says no. So is there really an alternative to this for you as a lender without adding a new layer of risk? And how? Sure. I mean, absolutely. Look, we've, we've scaled this business based on that approach. I think the fundamentals of tick box lending for a very small subset of the market, probably at the smaller end in terms of debt quantum, can work. Um, But that's obviously not the Oak North market or the Oak North model. And just to be clear, Oak North is not not a bank who who believes in a 100% automated approach or a 100% um, lending decision generated by a computer. What we do, we layer our human decision-making with some pretty sophisticated technology. And you may have heard of the Oak North Analytical Intelligence Machine that we've built, and that enables us to collect hundreds of data points from hundreds of different sources, enables us to benchmark, it enables us to compare and contrast different asset classes in different geographic locations, etc. And then that leads to a significantly deeper, enriched credit report that ultimately all banks will prepare to to lead to a human decision making decision based on that Mm -hmm. i think the other thing that's really important for us is look we're in a people's business and we lend to people so management teams are are incredibly important for us from when we launched this business we've been very focused on making sure the decision makers meet the borrowers that we lend money to so pretty uniquely still we invite all of our borrowers into our credit committee process and you know that's not a Contrary to popular belief, that's not a dragon's den type scenario where somebody stands up and does a pitch. You know, that's an opportunity for us to really ask important questions of our potential clients and to really understand in great detail uh, what their plans are and what they're doing and vice versa. You know, most entrepreneurs want to talk about their business and their plans. They are and have been frustrated by other processes they've been through where they don't meet decision makers. And we've been able to come up with a process that that takes that significantly enriched data that we have to then transform that into a face-to-face approach with decision makers. And we we are consistently doing deals in weeks rather than months. I come from a classic clearing bank background uh, having spent more than 15 years in a number of clearing banks and time and time again I saw and we still see you know what I would describe almost as the the 20 weeks to a no um, and borrowers yeah. being frustrated through a process that ultimately leads in a in a negative decision that's clearly no good for anyone um, ultimately what what borrowers want is a rapid decision and that's both a yes and a no if it's a no, we like to explain to our customers or potential customers as to as to why and why we believe it's not for us. And you know, in in certain situations, with our assistance and with our feedback, it's meant that some of our prospective borrowers haven't followed through with a particular project because they've actually understood and and taken benefit from the analysis that we've provided. 
um, which is great as well. And then when it's a yes, we like to do things really quickly because that's important to entrepreneurs too. Brilliant. Um, so you make lending decisions every day, right? And have lent more than two billion um, and counting. How would you define the right amount of lending, both on a project and on a wider context across the portfolio of, of loans? Sure. Look, our loan book's currently about 2.2 billion. To date, since inception, we've had nearly half a billion pound of repayments across the book. So, you know, these are these are pretty strong numbers in a, in a relatively short space of time. We don't have right amount of lending. We don't have kind of, you know, very, very detailed targets on where we want to get to by when. Um, you know, for us, it's about lending to the right developers with the right track record, the right investors with the right track record, with the right plans, um, backing strong management teams that want to grow and want to do more and providing certainty to those guys. Now, obviously, on a, on a granular deal by deal basis, there's always the right level of debt and the right debt quantum. And, you know, that comes back to our appetite and underwriting on a, on a specific deal by deal basis. And just on the wider market, with regards to the right amount of lending, I guess one of the reasons why banks seem to be scaling back a little bit, according to some, is that they've, they've been lending too much before and, and are having to scale back. And it's almost like in the same way that property prices are in some parts of the country softening a bit. In many cases, that's because they were a little bit too high in the first place. Do you feel like that's paralleled in lending space where other competitors are scaling back because they were over lending before? Um, yeah, I suppose to an extent. I think you know the, the, the other huge issue you have and you still have, um, which again, we were very determined to build a process which, which specifically catered us to work this out, was that unfortunately banks just don't have enough data and detail about where their current loan book is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got, you've got lenders out there with huge loan exposures across, well, in many cases, across multiple jurisdictions. But obviously, we only focus on the UK. But so, so if, if we just talk about that, you've got situations where there are lenders out there that have exposures across the UK that they would not be able to tell you about specifically without doing a lot of analysis and mm. a lot of work. You know, we have, a, we have, a, we have a, a system that we've built from the ground up where we can do that sort of granular detail. We can know exactly where we are in any one geographic location. We can compare geographic locations to each other. We can compare specific deals we've done even on a street basis to each other. So we have that, we have that level of info. And therefore, what that means for us is we know exactly where we are at any one time. And we're not prejudiced by previous lending we've done and therefore trying to balance our book as a result of some of those perhaps bad lending decisions that we've done in the past. Yeah. And um, what do you see as the biggest issues for potential borrowers wanting to develop or invest in property today? And if it can be resolved, how and who buys it regulators, challenger banks? Sure, look, I think there's a few things there. I think, you know, there are there are still significant amount of what I would call non-professional investors and developers that want to get into a market. And, you know, I don't shy away from the thought that if I wanted to be a doctor or a dentist, I would go to university and I would study and I would train for a significant amount of time. And, you know, it should be no different with any other with any other industry or profession. 
And, you know, yes, everybody starts somewhere, but what that means to me is that as your first deal was an example, you don't dream about building a 50-story tower with 754 flats in. You know, it's, it's horses for courses and you have to start somewhere fine, but then, you know, start smaller scale. So there's obviously that obvious issue. I think beyond that, um, you know, the planning, the planning situation in the UK with the national housing shortage is obviously uh, a, a continuing problem. You know, in certain instances, the, the, planning, the planning process just still takes too long. It's a very, what's the word, opaque system. So, you know, it differs significantly from local authority to local authority. We have seen instances where local authorities work very closely with developers to really help them along the way and really have input into design and, and schemes, etc. Um, but conversely, we've seen the opposite. So, you know, that, that I know there's, you know, political, political pressure there that really does need to, to change if, if the country is to get anywhere near its housing targets. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a long road, but I think that's clearly an issue. And, and generally, you know, identifying, identifying sites in the right locations continues to be a problem. And, you know, for many, and hopefully not for, for our customers, securing finance is, is also an issue that continues. Plenty of challenges. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And I think one of the things you mentioned there was basically the, the lack of professionalism historically, but obviously a lot of regulations are pointing towards increasingly professional um, attitude towards well, ha, ha, the extent to which developers and investors can get into the market. They have to be a little bit more professional. So I guess that's changing to an extent, but stuff's also obviously changing the finance space. What do you think will be the biggest triggers for change in the lending space in the UK property market over the next few years? And, and how do you think it could affect both the wider market and individuals within it? Sure. I mean, look, Brexit is is unknown territory for us all. We can all speculate. We can all we can all guess. We can all suggest. But ultimately, none of us are going to be right in any in any shape or form. So that's um, you know that's that, that remains to be seen what's going to happen. I think it it depends on the sort of developer you are. If you're a luxury developer with a focus on prime central London, Brexit might pose an issue in terms of long term with foreign buyers, etc. The decrease or increase in the value of currency risk is clearly an issue in terms of foreign investment. Of student housing, for example, if you look at the number of students in the UK, you know, Brexit, again, that might be impacted. You then have Mark Carney discussing house price values and what's going to happen uh, there if if we come out, if we stay in. You know, we've got, we've got Theresa May's vote next week. Um, so perhaps some of this will become a bit clearer. You know, transaction levels in the capital are down as much as twenty percent year on year. So you know, there's look, there's lots there's lots going on, lots of changes in in regions. However, throughout the UK, you know, there there is pockets of growth, there is pockets of price increases, and forecasts suggest that that will continue in areas. Um, and look, for us as a lender, we make sure that our book is diverse. We don't just fund property. So we fund a whole number of different sectors away from property. We're involved in healthcare. We're involved in leisure. Uh, we're involved in tech. And you know, our, our whole portfolio remains diverse. So, you know, when we're doing 
uh, care home transactions, affordable homes, high-end homes, social housing, luxury housing, um, commercial, mixed-use student housing. So, you know, it's all about diversity for us. So if any investors or developers are interested in working with Oak North or hearing more about what you're up to as a company, um, what's the best way for them to do that? You can either contact me directly, my email address or my, my phone number. Yeah, uh, yeah. if you're happy to give your email address. Probably. Yeah, fine. My, my email address is, is ben.barbanel at oaknorth.com. And um, you can also visit our website, which is oaknorth.com. And there are details of, of the whole team on that on that site too. Cool. Thank you. Good. And thank you for joining me and sharing your insights. To stay in touch or find out more about the podcast, it's The Return Podcast on Facebook, thereturnpodcast.com and the.return.podcast on Instagram. And if you've enjoyed or learned something from this episode, please leave a review where you get your podcast from, as this helps other people to find and benefit from the podcast. Thank you for joining, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Return. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as this really helps other people to find the podcast.